0: In our series with Lent, uh walking through the Gospels, uh, letting the the lectionary of each Sunday, the gospel lectionary, this the story of Jesus, uh be our um our pat our pattern. In a moment I'm gonna ask Muriel is going to speak. We we a number of you guys stay there, Muriel. Have you got a mic? We we got a mic too. Number of um, we talked about this before, a number of uh, beginning of last year. We, we really looked at reshaping, sort of, our, our, and the big why of what we do when we gather together. And one of the things that we want to do is to just hear more voices, this sense in which God presences himself when we come together. We're like living stones, scripture says, and we make this temple. We're going to talk a little bit about temples today. Uh, scripture says we are temples, we, we gather together, and God is in the midst. And, um, for all sorts of good reasons, people we have a platform and people stand on that and we have a pulpit in front of it. And there's sort of times, for good reasons, where it's like, it's out here. But we've been looking for opportunities to remind ourselves weekly that the best of what God does through his church is God in the midst Um, And so one of those things, we thought, it's good for have someone each week to read out Scripture. It doesn't need to be the preacher. Hear a different voice. Um, This week, I've actually asked Muriel to read it from where you're at. So it's literally going to be God. Uh, Muriel is not God. Um, She is a hero of mine. Um, But we're going to have the, we'll have the, um, the Scripture on the screen. Thanks, Ruben, mate. And so you can follow along. And it's in John 2. So... Let it rip, Muriel. Go for it. John
1: 2 12 22. Jesus clears the temple courts. There we are. Great. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and, other, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all. From the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will not consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us? to prove your authority to do all this. Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in 3 days." They replied, "It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in 3 days?" But the temp but the temple he was spoke he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the script, the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken.
0: Amen. Fantastic. Thanks, Muriel. Wonderful. Uh, we're going to jump into this passage, and there's so much goodness uh, in this. There's, I like um, so much goodness, but so much depth as well. Um, so I'm going to need you guys to work with me today. Uh, we're, uh, you've got to bring your A game. Yeah, listening, Because we are going on a journey um, to really get into the, um, and we're going to unpack what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing, even more importantly, and then even more deeply and more importantly is uh, what he might be doing in you, in us through this. So that's kind of the journey, but we've got to kind of get there um, as, we, as we head off on that. Um, the first thing in jumping into this, I might just get this down a little bit, if that's right, because I'll um, I'll bring it. Thanks, mate. Um, I don't want to blast people away. Big voice. I'm quite excited about this too, by the way, which is again why I'm sitting. I just realise often I get very excited about what I'm, and so got all this energy that I kind of need to be a little bit more centred at times, um, and particularly when we're going to do a little bit of um, a little bit of work in the text, um, and I'm just lazy too. Time so a bit of column A, bit of column B. Um, the first thing we we're actually going to um, sort of come at here, and this is again why I'm really looking forward to looking at this passage in particular. It's actually one of those uh, sort of events, Jesus clearing the temple. That if you've been around uh, church for a little while, and even this story, because it's kind of so, it's got so much action. It's a bit unexpected has probably got a degree of consciousness for people even outside who wouldn't identify themselves as followers, followers of Jesus. Interestingly and significantly, it is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. So do you remember two weeks ago, if you were here, we did a little bit of work in talking about how um, between the Gospels, there's often a different perspective that kind of fills out the picture. I use the example and it's a, a well-trodden metaphor of um, with Scripture that it's, the Gospels in particular, that it's like an, an accident or something happened at an intersection and there's four people standing on each corner. They're each going to have a slightly different perspective because of what they saw. But then also, if each one of those, pers- one was a policeman, one was a, um, someone was a doctor, someone was a social worker, someone was, you know, they're going to also pick up different emphases. And as we come to the living word, we're looking for that Because God works through his people in the same way that we're saying we want to have more voices. God works through his people and on the way through, this is God's choice. It's it's there in the incarnation that God resolves the biggest problem of humanity, the the, the distance, the separation between us and God. He solves it by coming down and entering into humanity. We call that the incarnation. And that's not just something he did, that's something he does. He continues to work through Humanity, that's his plan A, surprisingly. Um, and so theres it's the sense in which in the Gospels, it picks up some of who is writing on the way through. That's not That doesn't diminish the divinity. That actually authenticates it. Oh, this is that God that enters the world. We would expect this. But it does mean, as we come to Scripture, and particularly the Gospels, we talked two weeks ago, about the importance of having... Some, and i use that word, hermeneutical tools. It's important. The way we read Scripture is going to influence what you get out of it. And if you don't get to that point, if you're not able to acknowledge that point, um, uh, let me put it another way. People who would be in this pulpit acknowledge that that's truth because that's safe for you to recognize we can bring something to it. If you just think, someone thinks that they just get an automatic da- download straight from the Holy Spirit, God speaks to us, absolutely. But we've got to recognize his choice that's consistent right from Genesis. And to kind of go, oh, I just get this pure download from the Spirit, and it's just pure. Well, that's not how God works. We need to, does that make sense? We need to be a little bit suspicious when people are saying that. Now, often, it's so overwhelming the way in which God speaks to us, our language, is meant to pick up this idea that I clearly know God's spoken. I clearly have received... That's great. We just need to be careful not to overreach on that, on the assumptions, particularly when we come to reading Scripture. And so here we're going to see today how it's actually recognizing what's going on for John and in John and in Scripture. We're going to find something way deeper. Classically, hands up if you've heard a sermon on this before. On, on the cheese, yeah. If you've been around church, I'm sure, yeah, you've been. That's okay, you know. Like, I'm not going to try and bring you something fresh and new. I that's one of the challenges of coming to one of the passages like this. Is I'm aware people have heard stuff on, about this before. Um, what I want to try and lead us to this morning is again, reintroduce sort of the, the some of the key themes. There, there's a way in which, and probably the first, uh, you know, the way in which I would have maybe preached on this the first few times. Um, and this is kind of, there's a truth, the idea of um, what's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Well, the temple, that's about worship, right? That's about where people worship, and Jesus comes in, and there's a whole lot of racket and stuff getting in the way, and Jesus doesn't like things that get in the way of people worshiping, and neither should we. Jesus hates all of the stuff, and then there's a particular, I reckon, for all of us, because we are 21st century now but later 20th century in the western world there's a particular application that we've been preaching or we've been reading that like all this noisy stuff in church and the commercialization of worship and the it's like a critique of the church that's there you can do that you need to recognize that only for the last 30 years in certain countries in the world in history can do that because we kind of go, oh yeah, it's like church is, you know, commercial. That that's really recent, super recent, right? So um, the greats, the the uh, fathers and mothers of fact would have not had that kind of. Oh, we know what that's talking about. So we need to be careful about kind of being really recent. We tend to think that oh, that that meant that to us. It's meant that to everybody. Actually, it's more powerful to go. And this is like a hermeneutical tool, a tool to say, how do we get the most out of our Scripture? What did the first people hear? And let's build what it means off that and come forward. And, and then we find, oh, yeah, well, that's maybe, you know, maybe there's some application there. So there's a really kind of, again, this reading that kind of goes, oh, this is about our worship life. Um, we can corrupt it. And Jesus hates that. And we need to get back to a simplicity. Yes. But so much more. So much more than that. But to do that, we've got to kind of look into some of the language and the context. So we're going to do that. First thing, though, we need to get over a little bit of a speed bump, potentially, that's tripped up many a people um, inside and outside the church. And that is where John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts this. We are in John 2, right? Which is just after John, anyone? Anyone? 1 which is just after, anyone, anyone, the beginning. We're right there. This is like the second story of Jesus. But if you go to what's often called the Synoptic Gospels, they put it there, like the last story. So one of the reasons why this is relevant for Lent is because this actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, actually have it in the last week in Holy Week. John has it here. What the? When you get to those questions that make you wonder, recognize that God, Jesus was about signs and wonders. He's not scared of you wondering. Sometimes we feel like when we get to a wonder, and it's actually a lack of faith sometimes. It's like, oh, we might have found a problem that undoes the whole thing. I've got great news for you. We are 2,000 years on, and smarter people than all of us have been trying to throw rocks at this story for 2,000 years, and it stands. So when you get to a speed bump, trust that someone's crossed it before, and and be curious. There is, there is a part, really quickly, there is a kind of a solution here, or there is an approach that says, yeah, well, Jesus did this twice. So some scholars have kind of said, yeah, and and mostly because some of the language that we're going to read, that we've read and heard, that some of the phrases that John uses and some of the things, there's some slight differences. And so that's where scholars have said in in attempting to sort of fill the gap, oh, that's because he did it twice. Maybe, maybe, could have been possible. Um, I'm not convinced like that. Most evangelical biblical scholars aren't convinced by that. And actually... Part of that is because as you actually ask the question, so if this is the same thing that Matthew, Mark and Luke are talking about, why is John, here's here's where our wonder sets us on a journey. Questions. A good question is always more powerful than a good answer. Teachers know that. You know that. Good questions. The The most influential person in the room is not the person with the answer, it's the person with the right question. They reframe the conversation. Questions are great. Why? Why did John put it here if it's the same thing? Um, one of the most widely recognised evangelical scholars, N.T. Wright, he was the guy when we did um, Advent last year. We we used his. It was sort of the his book that we used for our um, our series on Advent. He says this, and this is great. Highlight it. The Gospels are not in a modern sense late 20th century, early 21st century, that's what we're talking about. They're not biographies. They are theologically driven narratives shaped by the conviction that in the story of Jesus, God's kingdom was breaking into the world in a new way. It's not a biography. Oh, so he's saying it's not true. No, you can can have historical facts, but what is John doing? We're so used to biographies when we understand telling a story remember my thing about epistemology two weeks ago too you hoped you'd never heard those words again and here I am bringing them right back ways that we know things we are getting dumber as a culture in the west because we keep reducing the ways we think we can know things do you feel that it's like for, for us to know something it must be empirically rationally made up and all the i's dotted and all the t's crossed now in some areas like my mechanic I want him to really lean into that truth. I want him to lean into that epistemology. My doctor, I want them to lean into that. But that is not all of my life. They're not even the most important things in my life. The ancients and through history, until very, very recently, we understood you can communicate truth in lots of different ways. And sometimes, and if you're, I've got my friend Michael here, and other cricket followers, hands up my cricket lovers out there. Stats are the worst way to understand... The facts are the worst way to understand cricket. That's the worst way to understand most sports. You can tell the difference between someone who really knows a sport because they'll describe it. They won't just start with stats. That ring true? Um, My my artist friends, that's so true about art, right, Lynn? Isn't it? What a terrible way to come to art. It's just that you're not going to find what's true and beautiful by just you know, doing the numbers or whatever. And so John is doing something here. There's a truth. And uh, another um, reformed theologian, Carson, says, John's arrangement of events, including the cleansing of the temple, differs significantly from uh, that of the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic Gospels is just because Matthew, Mark, and Luca are often so similar in their account. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. John tends to zig where they zag to fill out the picture. John is less concerned with a strict chronological sequence and more focused on theological themes. He's saying, This is what this is all about. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to be, This is the order of things. For John, the, cleansing, the temple cleansing serves as a powerful sign of Jesus' authority and establishment of a new order. Whereas the synoptics emphasize its role as a catalyst for Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, are kind of saying, if you understand, want to understand why he went to the cross, well, this is what he did the week before. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. John's not doing that. John has a different purpose. And when we understand that purpose, oh, my goodness, the colors that come. Um, and again, Lynn, I'm, I'm glad I don't have this arrangement that I have with my family with when I mention people from the front, I've got to pay them $20 because I'm terrible. At it. Sorry, Lynn, it's you this morning. What you're doing in trying to get people to appreciate art, and I've had, my kids have all been taught by you, you're not trying to get them to apply some sort of numbers. You're, you're, you're helping them see the beauty, right? That's, that's what's involved. You're giving them tools to see the fullness and the profound truth in what's happening in, in art. We've got to realize sometimes when we come to Scripture, that's what's going on, and we need to make sure we've got the right tools for that. Otherwise, you'll miss the real depth, and you'll have a very surface. That won't be wrong. You just will miss what God is doing and what a tragedy to read the word of God your whole life and understand it deeply and be able to quote all of the significant facts and events and chronology and miss what God is doing that may be the most tragic thing and so as we come to this if only we knew what John was trying to do if only we knew what John hang on he told us he couldn't have been clearer, right at the very end. Maybe be helpful, John, to put it at the start, but anyway. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what he's doing. He wants you to believe this is the Messiah, and so he starts with the wedding occasion, and so he focuses on the signs and wonders. The things Jesus did that pointed away to the, who he was and the kingdom of God and that made you wonder. So second story in. There is no better, I don't think there's a better story or, or event in the life of Jesus that talks about who Jesus is, his authority. He waltzes into the temple completely unends, upends things and he actually gets challenged halfway through the story where they say what authority have you got like it couldn't be clearer so John's going hmm what should I put up front to make this really clear that's why it's there think about if I'm to walk into my parents place their unit and I do a bit this with my friends as well but I'm going to use them with the parents I waltz right in I might give reference to them. I'll go to the fridge. I'll grab a drink. I'll sit down on the couch. I'm at I'm at home in my parents' house. I don't live there, but it's my parents' house. Now, think of when people... Oh, I I think about maybe here's another story. You might recognise this. When I was had friends over and they came into my parents' house and they started to f- treat the house not the way my parents would want. Do you remember that tension? Am I going to need to say and in that fortunately i had great friends so uh you know it, it was never a problem but there was probably a stage in which i would have felt that tension was unbearable that i would have asked them to leave because it was my parents house i would have had the authority to do that i would have known can you see how this is a demonstration of authority at that level jesus comes in and he knows and he uses the language zeal for my father's house that word zeal sometimes gets rendered as jealousy, I'm jealous. And we use that word kind of, it's a bit of a ye word you hear around the traps. And it's there, but in the original language, it's the idea, it's the positive emotion of jealousy. Jealousy, you know, we understand that now as not being great. Zealousness is like, this is so important, it's consuming for me. And so here Jesus is saying, there's stuff going on here that my passion out of who I am just means something needs to be done. You see why John's got it first? makes sense now, if that's what John's doing. So there's people who try and pull, pull these kind of objections out. It's usually so paper thin. Don't be rockbot. If you don't know the answer, if you've got question marks, that's fine. But don't be, we 2,000 years on with people asking the same questions. And again, in the world where we're kind of getting dumber and we forget how ancient texts work, inside and outside the church we feel like because we don't have a great response that there won't be one good news (laughs) just a little bit more study uh, going to people who've looked into this Uh, it really opens things up Um, I love art that's inspired by these things Uh, this by um, passages this is um, Cameroon Uh, was painted and straight away i like this and because like me you kind of go that wouldn't have been jesus the reality is it's probably closer than that it just looks like jesus has erected an ikea and it's just look look at look at the waspy kind of calm this apparently is the zeal consuming uh it looks like he's just moving it i don't know what he's got the hand up for um so, there's every reason, culturally, but certainly emotionally, that is much more accurate than that. Um, but you start to get the kind of the drama, the darkness in this. And this is a modern rendering, and again, I'm way out of my depth here, Lynn, so jump in. I'm talking about art. I failed first year art at uni three times. I had to get, true story, I had to go and convince the art department to let me pass, because I already had a job, and I had to promise them never to teach art, and they let me pass, otherwise I would have got my job. So here I am talking about art. I like this. It feels like there's a lot going on in that. If You can feel the emotion there. We need to talk about temples quickly. Because once we understand what, why John is putting this at the front here, it opens up to say, I wonder what else John is doing. What else is the Holy Spirit trying to reveal through us? And um, We've talked a fair bit over time, and I know some of you might have been on the journey. We, temples are really important. In culture and understanding how the ancient world understood temples is really, really important. And all, even more so, understanding how the people of God, um, the, particularly coming out of Egypt through the desert into the promised land, how God traveled with them. This is, uh, we've used this before, this is the sort of dimensions or a recreation. G- God was very specific. When you get into the desert, do these things. And he was really specific about measurements and where things were placed, and we should always go, why? Why? God said, create a temple that looks like this and carry the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the Ark? That symbolized God's presence going with us. Take that, and when you stop, put it in this place where you've got an, an outer cord, and then you've got uh, uh, another bit, and then inside, there's another bit inside, another bit inside. And all of the different spaces were really important. When they landed in the promised land, they recreated one. God never said to do this, by the way. God never said make it permanent. Out of response and out of zeal, David, then Solomon, said we should make one. And we should make it big and great. We've talked about this before. So that by the time it gets to, and then it was destroyed and then rebuilt, Herod rebuilt it, it looks like this. So the bit I was showing you before was uh, this bit here. You can see how it kind of reflects that. Building there, building there, out of court. But then there was all sorts of stuff that had built up around that that had real significance in the religious life of, of God's people. Um, this is maybe a little bit simpler to have a look at for the story. Because what's significant, and many of you might know this, where this was happening, John and all the writers are really clear, is it's happening out here in the outer courts, often called the courts of the Gentiles. It's also, John was really clear, he mentions twice this is Passover. So you might not know, there might be some degree of confusion, or they wouldn't have been for the first readers, about what, what year it was, what time of the year was crystal clear. It's Passover. And so people, worshippers of the Lord, gather and go on pilgrimage to the temple to offer, this was the great Passover, and it's the, it's the recreation and the remembrance and celebration of God's deliverance of what God has done and always does, is take us from slavery to freedom. And that's where the Passover lamb, and the angel of death passes over. And so every year, to remember that, it was also about forgiveness. There's so much stuff in there. We don't have time to go into it. And some of you know that. But all you need to know is, lots of people would gather from a long way away. And part of the worship life was to then offer sacrifices. Um, again, God had kind of ordained this. But people didn't travel with animals. So you bought animals. Uh, you also had to pay a temple tax. And there's, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they pick up a bit of a sense in which people are taking advantage of this. That's certainly there. I don't think that's the essence of what John is saying, that, that it's about an issue of justice. Um, it's about an issue of commercialization, although that's there. But John takes us a little deeper than that. It's happening in the outer courts. This is where all of that money changing was happening, where it's meant to be the place where people who are not Jewish come. There was a place within the religious to say, even if you're not Jewish, but you're seeking God, this is the place where you can come and find him. And so there's an understanding that what Jesus is saying here is, when you do stuff, as followers so it's all the Jewish people the followers of God who have created all this stuff in there and it's getting in the way of people outside of the kingdom coming to God his zeal and that's where in the synoptics they say um, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations that's quite significant John doesn't mention for all nations it's there it's true it's real what it does mention um, we'll come back to this he says he scattered the coins, the money changers overturned their tables. That word there, overturned their tables, and so we know this is kind of Jesus overturns the money changers' tables. To those who sold doves, he said, "Get out of, uh, get these out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market." Into a market, John talks about. Not a. Now, did he say both? I, I, I'm not sure. The difference between the two. Maybe he said both at the same time. John wants you to understand. He said market. That's different to the Synoptic Gospels. Why? That's the most powerful thing. Why? Is there a difference? His disciple, he then says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for, the, zeal for your house will consume me. Josh has done some great work with us over the journey about, and he, he used modern hip hop rappers to do this. Remember about the idea of the callback, how modern rappers pay their dues and respects by calling back to the greats. And that's what you do. That's how you get recognition. And Josh said, always look for the callbacks. Always look for the callbacks because the first hearers were always looking for the callback. That's where the, the richness was. Straight away, zeal for the house of consuming, that's straight from Psalm 69. So that one's really there. And we can see that. And we know that now. And so Psalm 69 is this wonderful thing about people seeking God. And it's great. What is a little opaque for us? Is in the language around. Stop turning my house into a father's, uh, my father's house into a market. Scholars would say most likely as Jesus. If you were there when Jesus did this, particularly if you were there, you would have been going. And remember, when is this? At the end of all of his teaching. So he's been talking for ages about the Messiah. If you're still with him, you're in. You believe this is the Messiah. You've probably gone back and done all the work about all of the prophecies that are fulfilling. If you're there as he's doing this, you're going, oh my, we are watching history happen right now because this is that. Zechariah 14, the day of the Lord. It's, and again, there's so much in here we won't have time for. But the day of the Lord is like, things are broken. The prophets were kind of saying, things are broken, but God will take us back. The Messiah will take us back to Shalom. God, mankind, humanity, creation in perfect harmony. We're going back. This is all about the journey back. And the day of the Lord was significant in all of that. And have a look. This is at the end of this passage. On that that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of their horses. This gets weird. We'll come back. Hang with me. Told you you we're going to have to work for it, but it's going to be worth it. The cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the old. What on earth? Every pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord Almighty and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. On that day, there will be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. Graham, that has helped helped one little bit. Would it help if you understand that that word Canaanite the Hebrew word behind that is actually more often translated. And the NLT does this in a lot of other versions. And on that day, there'll no longer be traders in the temple of the Lord. So if you're, if you're there and you're at the end and you've been following and you're probably aware, it's like, oh, this one, this is it. He's coming in and the traders that come. And that word in the original language is actually references a table because traders would come in, and it was the, the reason for the Canaanites is that they were nomadic people who would come and trade, and so they got known for this. They'd set up tables. And so they're in, the, in the economic fiscal language was this overlap with the idea of tables and traders. And so when Jesus comes in and overturns that, there is this sense in which, oh, wow, that's happening. And that's why, uh, when we go back here... John, his disciples remembered that it's written. It's like, oh, his disciples are, uh, this this is happening now. So this is being fulfilled. I could nerd out on how deep this goes um, for even longer, but I want to land it. Great, awesome. The Bible all works, Graham. Fantastic, nice Bible nerd stuff. Excellent. What's with the bowls and the horses? Well, here's where it gets awesome. I'm going to get the team up because we are landing. that inscription where it says, I don't know, where is it? Holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses. Holy to the Lord was the phrase in the original language that was on the high priest's head. Only one person had that. Everybody has a horse. The bowls in the altar... Very few people, if I go back to, uh, let's go back here. Very few people went into the Holy of Holies, but there was all this stuff in there that was meant to remind people about what the temple represented. They were bowls. Very few people, if anyone ever saw those bowls. If you did, it was because you were in the presence of the Lord. You were in the Holy of Holies the only person that could go in there on one day of the year was the high priest. is saying, there is going to be a time where the presence of God is going to be so common. It's like all the horses and all the cooking pots. It's going to spill out into every home. It's going to spill out everywhere because God never wanted this. All of this stuff that's in there is significant because it reminded, it was meant to remind the people of God what God's plan was. The first temple, me, you, a garden for eternity. We went off track. God has always had a plan. The day of the Lord, we're heading back there. I'm at work in the world. We're going back there. Don't forget, don't think as you come and bring your doves and your stuff for the offering, don't think that this is where we're ending up. My plan is that we end up here. So when Jesus comes in, in in that last week, and his disciples are like, "How's this going to work? What's going to happen?" He starts turning up tables. It's happening. It's it's really happening. He really means this. Two weeks ago, I talked about this word that turned up in Mark, and it only torn open It was when God, uh, when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism and um and god said he um he's my own dear son he spoke and it said that the heavens were torn open and it's a very specific word that only appears twice then torn open schizo and the other time was this i am not my presence is not contained in buildings anymore i'm breaking out and as we and this is what we remember that's what we come and prepare ourselves in. Lent is a season of repentance. Charles talked about this last week. It's a solemn season where we consider our lives, where we come back and we simplify things, where we go, I wonder what's getting, getting in the road of the presence of God in my life. We get serious about we We take this opportunity to say, what is in the way? Because... It's not just us. What's in your outer courts that's maybe making a bit of a racket for you to experience the presence of God, but more importantly, or as importantly, for those in your life who are trying to find God. Because guess who the temple is now, folks? It's us. There are no temples. God doesn't dwell. That's the whole point. He dwells in His people. So as we come into this season i are just going to have a moment as the of reflection and prayer i feel like maybe already in that time of prayer that christy led us in there's something might have been happening in there too but the question for repentance repentance we tend to think is all about forgiveness of sins charles listen to charles's sermon last week awesome about repentance repentance is metanoia is to turn around and walk in the other direction that will involve this turning bit of saying oh that was wrong But it's actually, the purpose of that is for this. It's your trajectory. Every year, believers, those who want to follow Jesus, who seek the presence of God in their life, for them and their family and their workplace, their school and their street, is it possible there might be some noisy stuff that makes it confusing for people? so we strip things back as we do that we realise oh that was harder than it should have been wow I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm walking that way that's Jesus turning over the tables in our lives it's just spend a moment before we finish just allow as we've been doing before what might need to be turned over the reason we fast is we probably try and identify those things that might be there, you know, right before us. But it's often it's the deeper stuff, right? Just spend a moment as the band sings. Allow the Spirit to guide you before that. John's purpose was so that you know who the who the Messiah is and why that you would have life. Not that way. That way.